Good evening. Welcome to our service of worship here tonight. May we know God's presence and blessing, whether we're watching online or whether we're here physically. Our first song is based on, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. And we've been enjoying some beautiful weather around here recently, haven't we? And we've been able to get out and enjoy ourselves. And I think that the writer of this hymn also did the same. He was able to go out and see the beauty of God's nature all around. And that prompts him to go on to the second verse, then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee, how great thou art. He saw the greatness of God in creation round about. So let's join to sing when the music starts, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. And after this, Malcolm's going to read the passage of scripture.
Well, let's read God's Word. We're reading from um, the second book of Chronicles, and it's chapter 2, and um, we're reading from verse 1 to verse 12. And the title of this section is Preparing to Build the Temple. This is Solomon preparing to build the temple. And Simon's uh, planning to speak, especially from verses 4 to 7. Now Solomon proposed to build a temple for the name of the Lord and a royal palace for himself. And Solomon assigned 70,000 men to bear burdens and 80,000 to quarry in the hill country and 3,600 to oversee them. And Solomon sent word to Hiram, the king of Tyre, As you dealt with my father and sent him cedar to build himself a house to dwell in, so deal with me. Behold, I am about to build a house for the name of the Lord my God and dedicate it to him for the burning of incense of sweet spices before him and for the regular arrangement of the showbread and for burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths and the new moons and the appointed feasts of the Lord our, Lord our God as ordained forever for Israel. The house that I am to build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. But who is able to build a house since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him? Who am I to build a house for him except as a place to make offerings before him? So now send me a man skilled to work in gold, silver, bronze and iron and in purple, crimson and blue fabrics, trained also in engraving to be with the skilled workers who are with me in Judah and Jerusalem, whom David my father provided. Send me also cedar, cypress and algum timber from Lebanon, for I know that your servants know how to cut timber in Lebanon. And my servants will be with your servants to prepare timber for me in abundance, for the house I am to build will be great and wonderful. I will give for your servants the woodsmen who cut timber, 20,000 cores of crushed wheat, 20,000 cores of barley, 20,000 baths of wine, and 20,000 baths of oil. Then Hiram, the king of Tyre, answered in a letter that he sent to Solomon, Because the Lord loves his people, he has made you king over them. Hiram also said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who made heaven and earth who has given King David a wise son, who has discretion and understanding, who will build a temple for the Lord and a royal palace for himself. So reads God's word. Well, it's a pleasure to have Simon with us again. Enjoyed having you here this morning and hearing the word of God. And uh, I'm going to ask him to give an update on the situation at Coventry after this next song. The next song is, Lord, I come before your throne of grace. And the chorus is, what a faithful God have I. As we look back on our lives Surely we can say that. What a faithful God we have had. 
So let's join to sing this second hymn. <coughs> Thank you for asking me to um, to share a little bit about the church, and uh, we really cover your prayers, so uh, thank you for that opportunity. It's been three years exactly, pretty much, since I uh, left beautiful Crowborough, and uh, then went to Coventry. How do you describe Coventry compared to Crowborough? If you've been there, maybe you can think of some ways. Uh, it's not quite so beautiful, um, but I feel very at home there, and so thankful uh, for the privilege and opportunity of serving the church here. The church there is called Hillfields Church Coventry. Um, it's very close to the, the city centre, and that really um, presents some great opportunities uh, to share the good news of Jesus with. Uh, we're so thankful for um, a real measure of love and peace and unity in the church. So thankful for that. We don't take that for granted. And so that would be one thing to, to really thank God for and pray that uh, that continues. Uh, second thing to, to thank God for and to pray for is... is, is Probably like, like never before, the last six months or so, you were, we're seeing new faces every week. Um, um, in some ways, you don't have to go out and tell people. People are coming in um, like never before. 
um, people who have never been to church before or just suddenly been stirred to, to come to church or who have been to church a long time ago but stopped and uh, wanting to, to, to think about things again um, or people moving into the area. So that presents some great opportunities uh, but also gives us, uh, makes us thoughtful about how we, we care for people and make the most of those opportunities. Uh, the third thing is um, uh, we're getting, uh, again, perhaps like uh, they haven't done in the past over the last couple of years, um, far more students than we've ever had um, before. So there are two local universities, Warwick and uh, Coventry, um, and, and it's partly as a result of, of COVID and lockdown. So uh, we managed to stay open all the Sundays that you were allowed to, whereas most churches in Coventry just stayed shut. And uh, students, they, they wanted to, uh, to, to come out, and uh, so we've, we've got lots of them. I think there are about, um, there's about 100 that we are in regular contact with, um, a good 60 or so or more uh, coming each week. Um, so again, that presents lots of opportunities. Uh, some of them are bringing their non-Christian friends along, um, and, and so that's really exciting. But then again, that creates challenges in how you care for so many um, and, and look out for so many. And then the, the fourth thing, just to, just to say, is that um, you may be aware that we, we do have a, a, another church building. It's only about seven minutes walk away, eight minutes walk away, but it's in a very different um, kind of situation. Um, very um, poor, underprivileged, um, lots of, kind of immigrants, uh, people with lots of different struggles and issues with life. And so on a Sunday afternoon, uh, they're doing a, an open door at four um, it's not a service or a meeting, um, but someone, what will someone will do is they will give a, a very short talk, three or four minutes from the Bible, and then we'll stop, and then they'll, they'll discuss it together in twos or threes, and then do uh, another two or three minutes talk or so, because their attention spans are very short, um, and you're getting handfuls of people along to that, um, with all sorts of, of challenges um, in life, um, but they're wanting to explore, so that's uh, very exciting. And then just the, the, the final thing, just uh, really ask you to pray for, I know people have been asking, and that's about Paul, Paul Watts, he's having a big operation on Thursday, um, a heart bypass, um, and we're really uh, thankful that um, it, it was due to happen, in, he gave, was given the time frame of within three to six months, but a, a cancellation has come up um, last week, and so he's able to have the operation this coming Thursday, so please do pray for him and for Hazel. Uh, that the operation will go well and uh, that he will recover quickly. Thank you. Well, thank you, Simon. Shall we join together in prayer? Merciful and ever-gracious God, we do need the guidance of your Holy Spirit as we come in prayer. O Lord, we come with that same petition that your disciples came. Lord, teach us how to pray. May we be guided in what we pray for. O Lord, we need your presence with us in our worship here tonight. O Lord, that is what we desire, that's what we need. And O Lord, we pray that we may know a sense of your blessing and presence with us. O Lord, you know about each one of us here who've come through the doors this night. You know how we've come. You know all about us. 
you know, our frame of mind, our, our needs. Everything is known to you. And, O oh Lord, we find that difficult to understand sometimes, but it is true. And may we live our lives in the light of that fact that you know all about us. O oh Lord, we pray that souls may be fed here tonight from the word of God, that they may be built up in their faiths. We pray, O oh Lord, that souls may be turned to you, made aware of their sin and turn to you. It is your Holy Spirit's work and that's what we long to see, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit is awakening, making boys and girls, men and women of all ages and all different types aware of their need of a Saviour. Give them, O Lord, that sense of need and give them that desire to seek after the Lord. O Lord, we can ask no greater blessing for people than that they are brought to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That they are brought in that spirit of prayer that the jailer was brought we heard about this morning. What must I do to be saved? The all-important question. O oh Lord, may that be a question on the hearts of many. And we pray, O oh Lord, that in this area that we live, there might be many who are bought to inquire what we do here. To many, it will be strange that so many come to a building and they have very little knowledge of the Bible and the teaching of the Bible. But, O oh Lord, we pray that men and women, boys and girls, might be constrained to come and to find out what it's the teaching of the Bible. We're thankful, O Lord, to hear of the situation in Coventry where so many are coming in to hear the word of truth. Those students, those older people. O Lord, we pray that you will help and equip the leadership there to answer the questions, to adapt and to be able to teach them to feed the flock. Oh Lord, do, do help them in every way. Oh Lord, they, they are conscious that without you they can do nothing. But oh Lord, you are a mighty God and with your help souls are blessed under the ministry of your word. Therefore we pray for them and do ask, O Lord, that you will encourage them. We pray for Paul as he goes into hospital this Thursday 
give wisdom and ability to the surgeons in performing that operation. O oh Lord, do bring him through that operation and may his health be improved as a result of that serious operation. We pray for Hazel in this, uh, that uh, she may know your presence and blessing, and that Paul may know it as well, that they may be given peace and quietness, freedom from anxiety and stress, and that your blessing may rest upon him in that. Be with the leadership team, as no doubt the the burden will be increased with Paul um, away. Help them to be able to perform all the duties that they are called to. And we ask, O Lord, for your particular blessing at this time on that church there. We are thankful for them. And we pray, O Lord, that (coughs) you will continue to go before them uh, and may they know your guidance and wisdom in all things. We pray, O Lord, for our students away from us. Uh, Do ask, O Lord, that you will help them and as uh, exam time comes up, and exam time for our own young people here. We pray, O Lord, that they may be given quietness, freedom from anxiety and stress, and that they may be able to commit their way to you and seek for that guidance and help that they need. We ask, O Lord, that our students away from home may be a means of blessing to those around them. They are living in an alien world. And, O oh Lord, it's not easy to be the odd person out. Help them to shine in this dark world. Help them to show who they are and who they serve. We ask, O oh Lord, for the work amongst our young people and children, that you will bless those who lead this. And we ask, O oh Lord, that as John and Steph lay down their responsibilities in the coming months, that you will provide suitable leaders for our Sunday school. May, O oh Lord, <laughs> your gracious hand, guide and lead in that respect. For, O Lord, it is a very important thing for our children to be instructed and taught in the ways of God. And for those who come in from non-Christian homes, O Lord, we are thankful that we have that ability to be able to spread the gospel to those who would seldom hear it. O Lord, we pray that the work may continue and that you will provide suitable leaders for that work there. We pray, O Lord, for our elders and deacons. At this time, uh, when John away, we pray, O Lord, that they may be given wisdom and understanding as to what to do. 
We pray for John and Esther away and to ask, O Lord, that you will give them rest. Most of all, we pray that you will give them your presence, a sense of your presence, and be able to enjoy and delight in the word of God and freedom from concerns and anxieties. O Lord, we do give thanks for the help that has been given to John over the months and years. Pray, O Lord, that you will continue to strengthen him and help him and bring him back in safety to us. We ask, O Lord, for your blessing upon Mark in his ministry here amongst us, that you will encourage him. And, and, O Lord, we pray that as a congregation, as a people who hear the word of God, that we may be encouragers to those who preach amongst us, encouraging in the way we live, encouraging in the fact that we are walking in obedience to your word. May we encourage them that we are loving and united together. We're thankful for that spirit of love and unity and pray, O oh Lord, that that may continue and that we may do nothing that will harm that spirit. And as we think of peace, O oh Lord, our mind goes to this terrible conflict in Ukraine. O oh Lord, we commit it again to you that you will overrule in that situation, that you will bring to nothing the terrible thoughts of Putin, his murderous ideals. O Lord, the hearts of all men are in your hands. And, O oh Lord, you know all about him. And in a moment you can change him. Give us faith to believe that. We have instances in your word where uh, wicked kings were turned to serve the Lord. Nothing is too hard for you, O oh Lord, Give us faith to believe that and we pray, O Lord, that uh, this serious situation might be brought to nothing and it may cease the fighting and the battle. Do be with your people in that country. O Lord, may they know in the midst of this terrible conflict the peace of God. May, O oh Lord, those who do not know you and have sought for, to, for a Bible and asked for Bibles, may they be reading it, may they be given understanding and may there be many who turn to you and seek after you in these difficult circumstances and difficulties. O oh Lord, we, we pray now 
that as Simon brings the word to us, that we may be not only attentive hearers, that we may take it to heart and in the coming days of the week may may put it into practice that we may meditate upon what we hear. May it not be just a question that we come here on the Lord's day and hear the word and has no effect upon how we live Monday to Saturday. But may, O Lord, the word affect how we live, how we walk during the week, in our contacts with those around us, help us to be good witnesses. Thus we commit this to you, O Lord, that you will once again be Simon's helper for, O Lord, we cannot rely on past mercies. We need fresh supplies of grace. And that's, O oh Lord, what we desire for him and for us, that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. In mercy, look upon us, O oh Lord. In mercy, pardon our many sins and cleanse us, we pray. We ask these things in your dear Son's name. For Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's join together in singing, Facing a Task Unfinished.
Please turn back to um, um, the second book of Chronicles in chapter 2 and verses 4 to 7 where uh, Solomon is sharing with uh, the king of Tyre um, how much he wants to build a house, a temple for the Lord. And as you uh, turn there, let me um, spend a little bit of time um, setting the the context and the scene of the book and hopefully that will help us as we think about this tiny part of it. Uh, Many think that uh, one or two Chronicles uh, was written by Ezra, a priest and a scribe um, uh, who was part of the second group of exiles who returned from Babylon um, to Judah in 458 BC. Um, in fact, if you compare the end of Chronicles with the beginning of the book of Ezra, you will notice uh, that it's almost identical. Um, of course, one and two Chronicles are really uh, are just two halves of one book. Uh, The book of Chronicles was divided into two uh, because it couldn't fit onto one scroll. And Chronicles tends to be this book that people avoid reading. Um, So they read through one or two Samuel, they they read through one or two Kings, and then they get to one or two Chronicles, and it almost seems as if it's just repeating itself. And so the temptation is just to skip over uh, the book of Chronicles and go on to something else. Uh, But Samuel and Kings really are very different um, to the book of Chronicles. Um, in, in fact, that the Jews saw them as such a kind of a, a different genre, a, a different um, reason for it being written, that, uh, that they separated out Chronicles from Samuel and Kings, and uh, they, um, they, they made the book of Chronicles the, the last book um, in their, their list of books, um, their holy books. So uh, the Jewish Bible, if you like, the book of Chronicles is the last book um, for the Jews. So you say, well, well, how are they different? Of course, they're all looking back on history um, in Israel. Well, as Samuel and Kings looked back on history, uh, they were written to explain what went wrong. uh, Why it was that God sent Israel into exile in Babylon. And explaining what went wrong, they major on political history. Um, So they point out lots of the bad things that the kings of Israel did. Um, So Samuel and Kings, really, they're they're underlining the unfaithfulness of God's people. uh, The unfaithfulness of God's people. Now, Chronicles is quite different. Um, It was written after the people of Judah had returned from exile. And instead of it being about the whole of Israel, it just zooms in on the family of Judah. And as Chronicles looks back on the past, it was written to encourage the people of Judah as they go forward, leaving the exile uh, behind them. Um, As the people return to Judah... Uh, with the city of Jerusalem in tatters and with the temple completely destroyed, uh, they were in need of much encouragement. And so the focus of Chronicles is not on human unfaithfulness, but rather on God's faithfulness and on his reliability and his dependability. And as it encourages Judah to keep looking forward, to go forward, to keep looking for the Messiah, another key theme of the book, 
Um, it portrays the kings of Judah in a far better light than Samuel or kings do. Uh, so take, for example, David. Uh, Chronicles misses out all of the negative things about David. Um, so it doesn't talk about the affair with Bathsheba or the trouble in David's family. So it, it misses out all the negative things about David and it replaces it with positive things that Samuel and Kings don't include. So for example, all the massive preparations uh, that, that David makes for the building of the temple at the, the end of 1 Chronicles. And, and with it including uh, the preparations that, that David makes for, for building the, the temple, uh, that underlines for us another key theme, if, if not the big theme of Chronicles, and that is that Chronicles was written uh, to encourage the returned exiles to rebuild the temple and to make the worship of God an absolute priority in their lives. So Samuel and Kings is about political history, uh, Chronicles is about religious history. Uh, and so you will notice as you read through uh, one or two Chronicles, um, it, it, it really uh, focuses on the, the history of, of Solomon's temple, the original temple. So um, it spends a lot of um, time uh, talking about the, the, the preparation being made. Um, it spends time talking about the building of the temple. Uh, it talks about the part that the temple played in the life of the nation. Uh, it spends a lot of time thinking about the worship that took place at the temple. It, it talks about the role of the priests, and not just at the temple, but in the life of the nation itself. So there is this, this big preoccupation in the book of Chronicles on the temple. And so with Chronicles being the final book of the Jewish Bible, and written for the returned exiles, to encourage them to rebuild the temple and to make the worship of God an absolute priority in their lives, uh, let me read to you the, uh, the final verse of Chronicles um, uh, and the final verse of the Jewish Bible. Uh, and this is Cyrus, the king of Persia, who's speaking. He's just let the people of Judah go home from Babylon back to Judah. And this is what he says. He says, the Lord... The God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And that's how the, uh, the, 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 the Jewish Bible ends. Be encouraged, Chronicles is saying, and, and go back and rebuild the temple. Make the worship of God your absolute priority. And, and what we're going to do this evening is we're going to um, sit with the returned exiles and we're going to listen in to how Solomon felt about the original temple uh, that he was about to build. Uh, we're going to see what was on Solomon's heart, um, those 400 years um, before the exiles returned. Uh, and as we learn from Solomon, hopefully uh, we'll see how uh, the exiles would have been encouraged to rebuild the temple, and we'll think about how it should encourage us today. Uh, so firstly, looking at verse 4, uh, we think about reputation. Uh, we think about reputation. Uh, when Solomon set about building the house of the Lord and the original temple in Jerusalem, why did Solomon really want to do it? Well, he wanted to do it because of God's reputation. He wanted to do it because of God's reputation. He tells the king of Tyre, 
uh, that he wants to build this house for the name of the Lord, my God. Now, one of the great glories of God is that God, he, he loves to stoop and he loves to come and be with and spend time with and live with his people. Uh, so, for example, if you were to read 1 Kings in chapter 6, another a temple account, you will find that Solomon um, gave instructions to have engraved all over the walls of the inside of the temple um, hundreds of different trees and flowers. And the reason why Solomon um, gave that instruction uh, was so that uh, in the Israelites' minds, they were taken back to the Garden of Eden and to the flowers and the trees in the Garden of Eden. And they were reminded of how God, he dwelt with Adam and Eve and spent time with Adam and Eve and walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now, up until this point, uh, God's visible dwelling place amongst Israel had been a tent. And it had been on David's heart, Solomon's father, uh, that now Israel, they'd stopped wandering about in the wilderness, and now they were rooted in the promised land. It had been on his heart to build uh, for for God this permanent structure uh, that would be his house. Um, You find in 2 Samuel 7 that David, he couldn't reconcile in his conscience, the fact that, that he as a king was living in a fine house made out of cedar wood, and yet the God of the universe was just living in a tent. Uh, in his mind, it didn't reflect very well on God. It didn't honour God. Uh, it, it didn't display anything of God's worth and value and glory and, and, and reputation. And, and of course, it was a good thing that David had on his heart, God tells him that through Nathan. And yet in 2 Samuel 7 and verse 13, God tells David that that he's not the one that's going to build the house, but his son's going to build the house. And his son's going to build the house for his name, God says. And and here Solomon, he, he tells this king why he wants to build this temple for the Lord. He wants to do it for God's name. He wants to do it for God's reputation. He wants to do it for God's fame. Uh, he wants to do it so that people, they will, they will hear about it and they will see it. And they will come, come to the conclusion that the God of this temple must be just amazing. Uh, an amazing God. Indeed, if you look in verse 5, he says, The house that I am to build will be great for our God is greater than all gods. He wants this temple to say something about his God. And you notice how personal this is to Solomon. He says, I want to do this for the name of the Lord, my God. My God, this is personal to him. And as we think about name and fame and reputation and honour, and glory this evening. I wonder, whose name is the most important to you? Whose name is the most important to you? You think back to Genesis 11, and where the people there, they wanted to build this tower that reached up to heaven to make a name for themselves. And yet here, it's not the name of Solomon that Solomon is bothered about. Um, It's not his name that he wants to advertise or promote. No, it's the name of the Lord his God, and I don't know about you, but this is a this is a massive challenge for me. 
Now, this is a massive challenge for us. Whose name am I most bothered about? Uh, Whose praises do I most want sung? Uh, Whose name do I most want on people's lips? And who do I most want people to be impressed with and wowed with? Uh, Whose name am I most bothered about? Is it my name? Is it your children's name? Is it your grandchildren's name? I remember I was about 25, 26 years old and I just started preaching. And I was asked to preach at a fairly small chapel not far from here um, on New Year's Day. They had a New Year's Day service every year and I felt rather special to be asked to preach at this New Year's Day service. I preached for about 40 minutes on Shadrach, Misha and Abednego from Daniel 3. I hadn't intended to go on that long, but I really got into it and enjoyed it. And I remember after the service, going out to the kind of uh, porch foyer where you expected to go and stand and and shake hands with people as they uh, come out from um, the the main little church um, hall. And, And I remember vividly standing there, definitely thinking to myself that this sermon really had gone quite well. And uh, people were bound to be fairly impressed with me. And I was fairly certain that as people got in their cars and drove away from this chapel, they would probably all be talking about this new young preacher in town. Well, there I was standing out in the little kind of foyer. And uh, the first person who came out with this uh, uh, tiny little little lady, I can say that because she was smaller than me. And uh, she, she came out and she tottered up to me and she shook my hand and she said, oh, thank you so much. And she peered at me over her glasses and she said to me, she said, she said, so, so what part did you play in the service then? Did you play the organ? And rather crestfallen, I had to explain that, no, I was the one who had gone on for 40 minutes Uh, Not the response that I was looking for. Uh, Anyway, the next person, he came out and he had a big grin on his face. He marched over to me and he shook my hand and he thanked me. And he said, you know what? He said, that is the best sermon I've heard all year. And I just couldn't help this big smile of pride just break over my face. And, And then I saw this humorous glint in his eye and I thought, that's the only sermon you've heard this year. But it can be a real challenge. It can be a real challenge. After I've preached, who do I want people to be talking about? Do I want people to be going away saying, well, I preached really well today? Or or do I want people to be going away saying, isn't Jesus wonderful? Isn't God amazing? Am I happy to be forgotten? Am I happy just to to disappear into the background? Is it it Jesus' name that I want to be known? Whose name am I doing it for? And and for you, in all sorts of areas of life, as you're in the workplace, as you post things on social media, as you stand by the school gates, as you look after your grandchildren, as you serve in the church in all sorts of different ways, why are you doing it? Whose name are you doing it for? Whose name do you most want to promote? You see here that Solomon, he wanted to build this original temple for the name of the Lord, his God. And these exiles, they would have been encouraged by that. And to rebuild the temple for the name of their God, it was, it was dishonouring to God that the temple was lying in ruins. 
And it would glorify him. It would make much of him uh, to see it raised from the ashes and rise up again. And as we today are involved in different ways in, in, in temple building, building the church, uh, the new, the living, the spiritual temple. So we should be encouraged that as, as people are saved and they, and they testify to the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as people are discipled and they're, they're built up in their faith, that the name of Jesus is being honoured. And people are seeing more and more just how amazing is the God we worship. And so you have reputation. Uh, Secondly, you have verse 4, worship. Worship. And in many ways, this builds on the theme that we've been thinking about. And so in verse 4, Solomon is explaining uh, that this temple was not to be a structure that only served the purpose of people hearing about it or coming to see it and talking about it. But no, it was built for the worship of God. There was to be great activity that happened there. Um, it was the place where people were to meet um, to, to praise their Lord. And, and you see there in verse 4 that, um, that it was only ever to be used for God's praise. Um, It was to be dedicated to him. And there were different things that were to happen there at the temple. So you see there verse 4, two times a day. A priest, they were to burn this um, sweet-smelling incense on the golden altar with the the, the sweet-smelling smoke uh, rising upwards towards God, a, a pleasant and pleasing aroma to him. And of course it was a, a picture for them of, of, of God's people having fellowship with God and, and their prayers rising up to him. Uh, their prayers being like this pleasing fragrance and aroma to the Lord. And people they would gather outside of the temple at the, uh, the hour of incense and they would meet together to pray. See there verse 4 also, 12 loaves of bread uh, were to be set out on a table covered in gold. The twelve loaves reminding the people of God providing bread for the twelve families of Israel those forty years in the desert. Constantly reminding them that God is the one who sustains. And God is the one who feeds and God is the one who provides. And that people do not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then again verse 4, burnt offerings were to be made at the temple. Abundant offerings could be made voluntarily, but they also had to be made at specific times and on specific days and at specific feasts. And as well as carrying the idea of atonement and making people right with God, they were very expensive and costly sacrifices, showing the worthiness of God. They were to be an expression of heartfelt worship. You see there in in chapter 1 and verse uh, 6, Solomon there, he he offered a a thousand burnt offerings to his God. And verse 4 is, if you like, a a summary of all the rituals and all the sacrifices uh, and the worship that was to take place at the temple. And you notice, end of verse 4, that this was ordained for Israel forever. So so this carries the idea of worship being required. 
A God he requires that he is worshipped. And he requires that you, you realise that. God he requires, he demands that he is worshipped. And not that God is big headed or arrogant, but that God is worthy. And God is worthy and he deserves to be worshipped. And this required worship, it was, it was to happen in a certain way. People, they couldn't just go to the temple and do what they wanted. Uh, they couldn't make it up as they went along. No, God had laid out instructions. He had ordained it. He had specific requirements. A God, he had to be approached in a specific way. And Solomon, he wants to replace this tent with this temple, a building that he thinks is more suitable for these sacrifices and, and rituals. And, and as you think of these, these returned exiles reading their history, listening ineffectively 400 years later, seeing, seeing how concerned Solomon was for the worship of God, a, a thousand burnt offerings in chapter 1, are being reminded that God can only be approached and worshipped in a certain way and that he requires their worship. He is worthy of their worship. He deserves their worship. But it's the least that they can do. I wonder, how, how would they have felt? How would the author of Chronicles have wanted them to respond? Surely they would have responded, God has given us instructions. God has made a way for us to worship him. God has made a way for us to approach him. How great is our God? And God, he requires our worship. He is worthy of it. He demands it. He deserves it. How can we not build this temple for his name and his worship? And what about us? And what should our response be? How, how should we feel? Of course, all these rituals and ceremonies and sacrifices in verse 4, they, they've been fulfilled in Jesus. In a sense, that's how they continue forever. They've been eternally fulfilled in Jesus. A way to approach God has truly been made. An acceptable offering has really been given. A new and living way has been opened up by Jesus. Uh, the curtain in the temple has been torn in two from top to bottom. And we now have access into the most holy place and into the presence of God like never before. And we can now approach God and come into the presence of God with confidence and with boldness and with a far greater sense of assurance than these people ever could. And so for us, what a greater sense of wonder we should feel. How much more we should want to gather as God's people and offer up to him these, these sacrifices of praise. Having been made into a, a royal priesthood and a living temple. How much we should want to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is the least we can do. Our spiritual worship as we build the living temple, the church for his praise.
And so you have worship. Uh, But then you have a third word in verses 5 and 6. And it's the word inadequate. It's the word inadequate. Uh, And I want you to have a little think to yourself. When, When was the last time that you just felt so inadequate you can't do something? You have a job that's been given to you to do, or you know that you need to do this task, or whatever it is, but you just think, I just, I just can't do it. And I'll give you five to ten seconds to think about what that last thing was. What was the last thing where you felt, I just can't do that, that's impossible. In verse 5, Solomon explains that the house that he's going to build will be great. And he adds to this in verse 9 by saying that it's going to be great and wonderful. And so so why does he want it to be great? Well, he explains it for us in verse 5. He says, for our God is greater than all gods. It's got to be great because our God is greater than all gods. In Psalm 135 it says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. In 1 Chronicles 16 it says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and he is to be held in awe above all gods. In Exodus 15, Israel sang this. They asked, Who is like you, O Lord, Among the gods. Who is like you? Majestic in holiness. Awesome in glorious deeds. Doing wonders. So, so, So whatever or whoever. Anyone worships. God is infinitely greater. And infinitely above them. And it's not just that God is top of the league of gods. God is in a league of his own. In fact, all other gods are false gods. They're not real gods. And indeed, in Psalm 86, it says, there is none like you. There is, there is none like you. And so Solomon, he wants to do his best for God. And as, as much as he can, he wants to build a temple that will best reflect God's majesty and God's glory. And, and you notice uh, some of the things that he does uh, to help him to do this. So if you look in verse 2, uh, he uses a massive workforce, uh, including those who worked on his own house. He used over 150,000 people. That's, that's massive. 150,000 workers for the temple. If you have a look in verse 7, using his um, uh, friendship with the king of Tyre, he, he asks for skilled workers. He, he doesn't just want any workers working on the temple, he wants the best. Uh, if you have a look in verse 10, uh, when he's paying for materials, there is, there is no expense spared. And you say, well, what does a core mean? That doesn't really mu- mean much to me. Well, let me kind of put it in up-to-date measurements. So, so he paid 4.4 million litres of wheat, 4.4 million litres of barley, 
440,000 litres of, of wine and 440,000 litres of oil. A colossal amount of money. Massive amount of money. No expense spared. And, and then skim your eyes over chapters 3 and 4. I see how ornate the temple was to be with the detail and the engravings and the carvings. Uh, get a sense for how much gold is being used. So, so the whole of the inside of the temple is covered in gold. Uh, have a look at chapter 3 and verse 9. He even uses gold nails. You don't get those at being q I look at the precious stones, chapter 3 and verse 6. I see the fabulous fabrics and their colours, chapter 2 and verse 7. And have a look at chapter 4 and verse 7. He doesn't just make one golden lampstand, he makes ten golden lampstands. At verse 8, he doesn't just make one table covered with gold for the bread, he makes ten tables covered with gold for the bread. And then have a look at chapter 4 and verse 2. You remember the big bronze basin out in the courtyard where priests were to, to wash their hands and feet. And of course Solomon, he has a number of basins made, but, but he has one main basin made that is so big that it's called the sea. Now that's how impressive it is. And so you see something of the, the effort and the expense and the extravagance that he goes to in building this temple, and, and how much it shows just, just how great he thought his God was. And, and maybe you can think of things that you've, you yourself, you've, you've done for the Lord, a, a ministry that you've been involved with, or, or an area of service, and you've, you've just given everything to it. Uh, you've, you've poured your heart and your soul into serving God in this way and, and you've held nothing back. And the reason why you've done it is because your God is so great that you want your efforts to be a tiny reflection of how great he is. And yet look at how Solomon feels in verse 6 in spite of his intentions. So he said in verse 5 that the house that I am to build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But then he asked in verse 6, but who is able to build him a house? Since heaven, even highest heaven, cannot contain him. It's, it's, it's impossible, he says. If not even heaven or the highest heaven can contain him, it doesn't matter how impressive I make the temple, it it doesn't matter how big I construct it, it will never be big enough. It it will never be impressive enough. It, It will never be glorious enough. It can never contain God. You can't box God in. A God is spirit. A God is everywhere. And God is so immense that he leaves the boundaries of the universe in tatters. He he bursts our categories. We don't have words or measurements that define him. You, You can't use walls to surround his majesty. 
And, and, and in setting out to build God this house, suddenly Solomon, he starts to feel very, very, very small. And he starts to realise something of how great his God is. As Solomon knows, verse 6, that the temple, it, it actually won't be God's house. It can't be God's house. It will only be a symbol of it. Uh, the place where he's worshipped and burnt offerings are made. And, and you know, it's a funny thing, isn't it? But when you see someone else struggle, or when you see someone else realise their limitations, and you see some of their limitations, in a funny way, it encourages you. How you think of the returned exiles. Uh, there was no way that they could ever build a temple that was worthy of their God, but then neither could Solomon. And, and as we reflect on this this evening, isn't it just remarkable, I can't get my head around this, that, that though Solomon acknowledges uh, that he just cannot build a physical building that will truly be God's house. In, in answer to the question, who is able to build him a house since heaven, even the highest heaven, cannot contain him, there is someone who can do it. And his name, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think of what Paul said in Ephesians 2 and verses 21 and 22, where he's talking about the church. And he says that in Jesus the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know, that is just an absolute mystery. Not even the universe can contain God. God is beyond the borders of time and space and yet God has made his home in his people. And we are the temple of the living God. And we are the place where God by his spirit lives. We are the house that Jesus has built and is still building. And not only that, but we have been invited, encouraged, called, commanded to be workers and uh, part of, of building this, this temple, the house of the Lord. And so therefore, with that encouragement, uh, shouldn't we be like, like Solomon in verse 7, who is just, he's just determined to build. He's just de determined to build. And he, he says, so, so now, he says. Or so then. Despite realising that he can't actually do what he's set out to do, um, he's not put off. He's not disheartened. He doesn't give up. But he's just filled with a sense of, of determination and ambition and motivation for his God. And he says, so now. He says, so then, send me those workers. Send me those materials. Let's get on with it. And how much more should we, with, with infinitely greater encouragements than Solomon ever had, how much more should we be saying this evening, so now, let's, let's build the house. Let's, let's build the house that Jesus calls us to be part of building. As we look forward to Jesus returning, uh, when the temple is finally finished, and Jesus returns, 
And when we will be with Jesus for, for all eternity in the new creation, where there be no need for a temple. Because Jesus himself will be with us forever. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled this evening as we think of the fact that you are so immense. Lord, that you do leave the boundaries of the universe in tatters. And to think that you are so immense that you burst our categories. Uh, that we can't even begin to get our heads round just how big, how glorious, how great, how wonderful you are. And Lord, that makes us feel very small. And we're so glad about that. Because Lord, we want to be satisfied in you and in all that you are. And we thank you, Father, for the immense privilege of being part of this temple and being part of the work in building it. And we pray that we might be encouraged and wowed and full of wonder as we think of you by your spirit living in us. And we look forward to that day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return and there'll be no need for the temple for he will be with us forever and we will be with him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll have our our last song now as we worship God and we praise him, uh, the God of heaven who lives in us, his people. to you.
The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Amen.